I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You can follow us at Open Mind TV and support our series on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome Kimberly Whaley to our podcast. She is professor of law at the University of Baltimore and wrote a fascinating bulwark article at the outset of the impeachment trial, which has now resulted in the second acquittal of former President Trump. Welcome, Professor. Thanks for having me, Alexander. I think your article was prescient in reflecting the fact that the Chief Justice was not acknowledging, whether he wanted to admit it or not, the seriousness of the high crimes and misdemeanors alleged and his refusal to participate from the outset in some ways diminished the solemnity of the proceedings. Yeah, it did. And I think we saw it in part with the kerfuffle at the end around calling a witness. Uh, If there had been a, you know, a judge, the chief justice presiding, that would have appeared to be less political. In addition, there was at one point um, um, a request to strike information from the record. Again, Patrick Leahy didn't seem in the same level of command as a judge would have been. And I think really the last piece that is is significant is that twice, twice the United States Senate denied a motion to basically cancel the proceedings on the rationale that it was unconstitutional to actually hold the trial after Donald Trump has left office. I think that kind of, there's nothing in the Constitution that would have prevented that question to go to the Chief Justice or at a minimum, um, you know, the, the House impeachment managers could have made a request that the, the jury, the senators take notice of the fact that that legal issue was resolved. And because as I told my students yesterday, Uh, my law students, if this had been a serious judicial proceeding, a jury couldn't say, well, we're going to ignore the facts because early in the case, there was a motion we thought should have been granted, but wasn't. Um, Once a judge makes a a decision on a threshold issue like jurisdiction, it's over. It's in the rearview mirror. And the fact finder has to pay attention to the facts. and, And that went off that jurisdictional issue was resolved if you respect the vote of the body or if the, if the Senate pro tem president presiding over the trial was respected as the successor to or the replacement for a chief justice unwilling to preside. To me, it was a real insult of our democracy that the chief justice opted out. It was like he opted out of his constitutional duty. And, you know, you said it, and I'm saying it, but very few people are prepared to or willing to say it. Yeah, you know, that's been really interesting. Um, I haven't been sort of a public figure in any way um, before the Trump administration, and and I did it really because I care a lot about public education. And, and you know, I've actually found the times that, I have sort of weighed in on the apparent lack of neutrality or maybe maybe intellectual inconsistency um, of on the part of federal judges, particularly Supreme Court. I think that's the moment 
um, one of the moments I have felt most alone. I think it's, it's true that, um, most legal commentators just accepted that, that sort of, you know, decision to, to opt out at face value and sort of read between the lines and said, well, the constitution says, uh, you know, uses the present tense and therefore the chief justice is out. Um, but as we saw, that same argument lost twice in the Senate, which demonstrates there's some ambiguity in the Constitution. I mean, people that have been in the White House go the rest of their lives um, with the, the moniker president. And the rationale behind having the chief justice in that role, um, which is the only place in the Constitution the chief justice is even mentioned, right, I think which underscores your point, which is this is an important element of presidential impeachments, according to the framers, arguably. Um, and the fact that he not only presides as the chief justice is the model of ostensible leadership, but he purports to be a textualist. He purports to care about the written text of the constitution. Um, how we got to a point where the chief justice can ignore the constitution, where of course the Republican senators as jurors can ignore proceeding with the trial on the basis of a simple majority vote, a hundred jurors, they're judging according to the will of a hundred jurors and how we got to the point where it was opening and closing arguments, essentially no testimony, no sworn record entered into the proceedings. But to me, it was a show trial as compelling as Jimmy Raskin and his fellow managers were. It was akin to governing by tweet. It was not a fulsome substantive trial. Yeah, I know. I've also was public from early on arguing that there should be witnesses. And I understand um, I think the fact that Senate, former Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made a statement saying he was convinced on the facts. I think Jamie Raskin's correct that they made their case and a lot of prosecutors and legal analysts have said, listen, there was no need. But, but I, I agree that with you that there was a need for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, there, you know, impeachment trials are inherently political, um, but that means that voters' minds have to change. And for voters' mind, for senators' minds have to change, voters' minds have to change. And having somebody under oath like the vice president, the former vice president, or or like, you know, maybe one of these law enforcement officers that were injured um, and maimed for the rest of their lives or family members of those that were lost to really bring home the implications of greenlighting this for future presidents. I, I you know, that, that I can't, I can't just sort of shrug off that that would have made an impact. And secondly, as you indicate, it, it would have legitimized the process. When the last round with Donald Trump, um, there was an effort to call witnesses and the Senate was controlled by the Republicans. And that really was, was you know, not a serious trial. I mean, twice in the Constitution, the framers mentioned the word trial. They understood that meant evidence. And going forward, we're left with the question of, you know, what's left of impeachment as a mechanism of accountability for the presidency? And if impeachment's out, then what's left? I mean, if you kind of tick through the list of ways to hold any president accountable, um, there aren't that many left. Now people are calling for prosecution in the criminal justice system. But 
Congress is supposed to be, you know, big brother of the presidency and they've just caved. And let me just make one other comment about the chief justice. Um, you know, he, what he could have done, first of all, he had no jurisdiction himself to make a unilateral decision on how to read that language. If the argument is, listen, he's not supposed to reside, preside once the president is out, that's not in the Constitution. There's no way to get that before the full court. And there is doctrine that says justice, judges can't give advisory opinions. So that was arguably crossing the line and giving an, an implicit advisory opinion by a single justice on the Supreme Court. If he was so concerned about, the, about whether that was proper for him, he should have put that question before the Senate. And said, listen, the Senate, just like the Senate decides whether it was constitutional to hold a trial, the Senate makes the rules, the Senate decides who presides over the trial. And at a minimum, uh, I think that could have maybe put a different federal judge in that position. Um, But what happened by copping out was creating, I think, an unfair impression that the whole thing was political because Patrick Leahy, of course, was not neutral. I mean, he's a Democrat and he voted to impeach uh, or remove President Trump the first round. So Justice Chief Justice Roberts is careful about the legitimacy, legitimacy of the court. He's careful about not politicizing the court. But by, but by stepping out in this pivotal moment of American history, he actually politicized the process. Uh, and it's very damaging and very unfortunate in my view. And I agree with you. Very few people have said this. You can argue, I suppose, that the omission of former is what justified his decision. But could you not also read the written text and assume or presume that it would apply in this situation too? Yeah, so the the, the sort of couple steps. One is if you do you look at the plain language and you know we can talk more about textualism or originalism um, but there are plenty of circumstances where conservative judges, conservative justices have read something into the Constitution. Take um, First Amendment rights for corporations, you know, the the famous Citizens United case. Uh, That was a conservative court. There's nothing in the Constitution in the First Amendment about corporations. They, in fact, didn't exist the way they do today. A living, breathing people, I think, were what the framers thought the First Amendment was going to apply to, not fictions that are created to minimize uh, liability, which is a corporation. So, so I just have an issue in general with the pretense that somehow the Constitution's clear and only certain people understand that clarity. Any debate about it is invalid. Um, so I think there is a legitimate argument that the 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 um the office of the presidency is so special that so long as the the impeachment happened while he was in office which it did the actual charge came out that 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 process is one that is an impeachment of a president um and the constitution allows the 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 Senate to impose a sentence and I put that in quotes because it's not a criminal process but the constitution is specific that the sentence can be banning from further off for future office. So the the proceeding wasn't mooted. That's another legal term. But the idea is it's not like the, the, the Senate couldn't actually give some remedy for the violation. Um, that sometimes judges will bow out and say, listen, the whole thing is over. There's nothing we can do to help this anymore. The chief justice could have done that. Um, so So the other argument is, well, the reason the chief justice is there for a sitting president is because the line of succession creates a conflict of interest 
if if it, if it were the the um the president pro tempore of the senate to preside and because it's now joe biden um then you've got uh patrick Leahy not somehow wanting to push the proceedings towards a a removal so that he could then ascend to the office, um, which of course he'd have to get there over the vice president and other pieces, uh, other, other layers. But even that, if we're having that discussion, we're into ambiguity. We're into, we're into the reason why we have the chief justice in that office. I just don't think it's such a slam dunk that this is something that should have taken place outside the purview and you can, uh, of the American public. And you can correct me. I think it was delivered through Republicans in the Congress. The message wasn't, it wasn't like even the chief justice had a, a little huddle with the, with the, with the leaders of the Congress to, to resolve this. It was just done behind the scenes. And the fact that it was used by Rand Paul, Senator from Kentucky, Republican, immediately after to condemn the legitimacy of the entire process. Well, the chief justice is bowed out. That means it's unconstitutional. I think that alone. That alone is evidence for why the Chief Justice really should have been more careful about, about stepping out and doing it in a more methodical process that, that treated the, the issue with the kind of dignity and importance that it deserved. Why are we in the minority in our viewpoint that what the Chief did degraded our democracy and judicial processes and that journalists – we're not concerned enough with this question. Again, I think it's a marginalization of our respective concerns that we witness in legal circles as well as journalistic circles. And I'm wondering why. You know, I, I, I've been wondering that too. I mean, I imagine, you know, first of all, why didn't the Democrats push back on this? They didn't. Um, they didn't say, listen, we have a problem that the chief justice has stepped out. I think, you know, some, some did, um, uh, some, some members made public statements on Twitter that it was, that it was not okay. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, but as a whole, I think maybe the, the, the need to get through this, the expediency, um, the concern about, you know, Joe Biden having, um, pushing forth on his mandate to to deal with COVID, all of these things. These are the behind-the-scenes type things that um, people like Jamie Raskin are sensitive to. And I've interviewed Jamie Raskin on my Simple Politics show on IGTV. And then we talked about the first impeachment and why there weren't more articles of impeachment in there. And And back then, I argued that the Senate Republicans or the House impeachment managers should have posed motions to the chief justice. I mean, he sat there as a figurehead. People say, oh, he's just a figurehead. That's not in the Constitution. You've got to put a motion before the for a judge before they rule. They're not going to do it in a sua sponte way. They're not going to just jump from the bench and argue things. And the Democrats, the first round, didn't say to Chief Justice Roberts, I make a motion to call John Bolton as a witness. Um, that that wouldn't wasn't precluded in the rules, and then it would have made it more of a political situation. But I think there's a sort of gloves off approach to the federal branch, particularly the Supreme Court, and that's the sense I get within the legal community uh, is that it's just something you don't do is criticize justices um, because. But honestly, Alexander, I don't know. I don't know beyond that um, why, frankly, and maybe it's if you might appear before them one day or you don't want to burn bridges or don't want to get the Federalist Society upset. I I really don't understand it. I mean, my approach to it is very much, okay, 
the Constitution, and this is my book, How to Read the Constitution and Why. The Constitution is a roadmap for government. It's a job description. And uh, if we don't enforce the job description, then, then, the, then the Constitution loses meaning. And that goes for all three branches of government. And so I'm an equal opportunity critic when it comes to adhering to the job description of government and not, not sort of falling into Camp Blue or Camp Red regardless of the merits of the argument. But I don't know if you have additional insight. I haven't had this conversation with other people. I really don't know the answer. Like you say, I'm an equal opportunity critic on the open mind, and there's equal opportunity to criticize both the legal and journalistic community and their refusal to account for the substance of what transpired in an impeachment. And for me, it wasn't about McCarthy's testimony or uh, the congresswoman with whom he's confided about the Trump call. Herrera Butler, yeah. It's not about the congresswoman or the congressman. It's about the procedure. And that's why I've equated modern day impeachment, both the Ukrainian impeachment and this one, as kind of impeached by tweet. It's, It's not a serious, thorough governing process. And, you know, I think that that really has a lot to do with politics and the fact that, you know, for journalists, it was a one day story. Once the impeachment had concluded, the scrutiny about the Democrats failing to call witnesses and have a real trial is is over. Move on to the next thing. The only thing that explains it to me is that in the fast paced velocity culture in which we live, people aren't reflecting on what's occurring. It has been pointed out that more time was spent on President Clinton's perjury regarding a sexual liaison, a consensual sexual liaison, than there was over an insurrection and the incitement of I've called it treason, incitement of violence against a branch of the government, one of our three branches, by another branch. And so to just think about it logically for a second, more hours were spent on an impeachment over one's personal failings than an attack on a branch of government. Yeah, one that left seven people dead, if you include the two officers who took their lives, um, presumably relating to the trauma. And as we saw during, you know, I mean, I likened it, I agree, it's sort of a long closing argument. Um, It was very compelling to watch the videos, but it was arguments by politicians that happened to be lawyers. That's not the same as firsthand knowledge. Um, But but, but there are a number of reasons, I think, why this happened politically. Uh, I mean... Litigation takes time. Investigations take time. And yes, it would have taken more time to actually have depositions and call witnesses. Um, But I think it's, I think, you know, again, I don't know all the permutations. To me, it's worth it. It's worth it to legitimize the process, um, even if it doesn't affect the outcome. I mean, that's, um, that's, uh, you know, that that's just what we do to get to good to do, do what's right for the Constitution itself. I mean, again, one of the arguments that came up in the closing by the defense counsel had to do with, well, the Senate has better things to do. The Senate has more important things to do, like 
like deal with the pandemic. I think maybe one of the concerns was that if this were dragged out, what happened with the economy, what happened with the with a pandemic under Donald Trump would would morph onto a Joe Biden's kind of list of of things that he failed the American people on. And of course, there's also this pressure early in a new administration. And some people critique President Obama for not getting more done early on where your political capital is highest. And people are really, really suffering. I mean, when it comes between the pandemic and of course, we're seeing, you know, the freezing temperatures and the meltdown in Texas um, with the electrical grid, climate change, two absolutely pressing, pressing issues. Um, but my question, Alexander, is, okay, now that, and this gets into the filibuster, frankly, now that the or the Democrats have both houses of Congress and they have the presidency, if the idea is, listen, we need to get down to the business of legislating for the American people, um, is that going to happen? I mean, is that, is, is the sort of giving the impeachment process short shrift so that there could be movement on things that people care about in a bipartisan way? Meanwhile, more than 50% of Americans wanted a conviction. Um, are they actually going to do that? Or will sort of the obstructionists in the Congress use the filibuster um, to to just score points by stalling initiatives that really matter to Americans in order to get back in power in a couple of years? Um, you know, these are complicated questions. But let me just say, with respect to impeachment, I think we need legislation. We need rules. I mean, one of the things that happened that was also stunning was that, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz counseled the lawyers for Donald Trump. I mean, in the midst of the trial, uh, maybe a Chief Justice Roberts would have put the put the brakes on that if there were a motion to to sort of say, you know, please, please, Your Honor, could you put a limitation on ex parte communications, something like that. Um, But we should have some rules for the next round that 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 sort of detail some of these ambiguities. So if we end up at another impeachment, that that it's not manipulated politically, that the Senate is bound by a, a law, not internal procedure, a law, a statute that outlines, um, just like it happens in courts, outlines the procedure to make sure the facts and the law carry the day, not politics. Procedurally, um, there, there would have been a stronger argument in your opinion with the impeachment open to do the due diligence and investigation and that that would be would have been a stronger mechanism and i'm asking you this than a commission starting from scratch in essence to find criminality and complicity on with respect to the events of one six, the the notion of opening a new commission when you had an existing mechanism to pursue justice seem seems rather naive and pretty ineffectual. Well, I think it's probably achieving two different things. Um, the impeachment was about accountability to to the for for the office of the presidency, not just Donald Trump. What are the rules going forward? And I think the rules are there are no rules at the end of of a term. The the commission I think is vital to get to the bottom of what was the complicity within the Trump administration and the Trump campaign, not only for the events on January sixth, which we did hear, for example, that the date was moved for this protest 
from later in January to January 6th, which was the date that, you know, Congress was meeting to, to count certifications, electoral votes. And then also afterwards, I mean, I live near Washington, right outside Washington, D.C., and watching on TV hours of no law enforcement. I mean, this is a national terrorist attack. It was very serious. Um, you know, people that don't like us across the globe were, were cheering this on. Like, look at how vulnerable and how weak America is. We need to get to the bottom of that. So I do think that the commission is really important. You know, the Congress did have subpoena power, but they, that each subpoena would have had to have been ruled on by the Senate one by one. That's kind of bulky. That's cumbersome. Um, there certainly wasn't time to do that deep dive in terms of the actual decision to issue the article of impeachment. Um, that argument, I think, falls on deaf ears, given that they, you know, the Senate, at least Mitch McConnell, uh, acquitted based on the claim that you couldn't even have the trial. I mean, there has to be some way of holding a president accountable at the end of their term for inciting an insurrection and causing t- dead people. Um, um, so so I, I think that that has to happen. But just to back up a year ago, and you can look at my writings back a year ago, or a commentary on on air and stuff. I mean, I think the Senate, the the House impeachment managers for impeachment number one, um, they should have they should have subpoenaed witnesses. They did not subpoena witnesses during the investigation. Um, they backed off of the subpoenas. They they asked nicely, and then witnesses said no. Donald Trump was was impeached in part um, for obstructing Congress, but the impeachment managers and under Nancy Pelosi, the House Democrats. Uh, again, in the interest of expediency, didn't want the lengthy court battles that would arise over actually using Congress's power to in, to subpoena and enforce those subpoenas. And the American people lose. I mean, it would have been good for us to have some legal decisions around this stuff. And as the Trump administration has shown in the Solicitor General's um, sort of very vigorous use of expedited requests for review by the, to the Supreme Court in an unprecedented way, the Supreme Court can get involved in things quickly if asked. And I think an impeachment is one of those things that that kind of litigation, as we saw a number of re, uh, uh, issues with the Trump administration, including challenges to the election results, the Supreme Court will rally and, and issue decisions quickly if, if it's important enough. And the Democrats just didn't push it. Um, so we are left with a hobbled Congress, a Congress that is basically caved on its ability to to gather information from the executive branch and enforce it. That was impeachment number one, an acquittal on obstruction of Congress, which is in part due to the House and the, you know, the House impeachment managers and the Democrats in the House um, failure to actually push for witnesses and subpoena witnesses and take it to court if they refuse. Same thing with documents. Um, And then this round, we're left with a perception in the American people that impeachment is just a big political function and it doesn't have any real, um, real, real muscle. But I should say, Alexandra, I, you know, in my public speaking and in talking to students and, and things, a lot of Americans are having the questions you and I are having. I mean, in call-in shows I've had, people are like, wait a minute, what happened there? Why did they quit him? What happened? How was that possible? Um, recently on an NPR show out of Baltimore, I used the term jury, jury nullification, and then a, a local school teacher called in and said, now I finally understand what happened. Okay, the facts were just ignored for political reasons. That makes sense to me. Um, but I agree with you. There needs to be more breaking down and explaining of this stuff um, so that the next round there can be not even, um, not just within the media, but within the American voting public, some accountability for the process, not just for the outcome. 
Kimberly Whaley, Professor of Law, thank you so much for your insight today. Thank you for having me.